Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 610. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Welcome to the day show. It is the end of the month before anything, so we've got Mr. JJ Campanella coming with his science news. Before that, the main fiction is Wheels Up Time by G. Scott Huggins. That's all coming to the day show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. So welcome back to Starship Sober. It has been a little bit of a kind of, you know, like computer, not getting on the computers again. You know that level? Maybe I've went back down and touched it because I had issues. I kind of, I don't know if, if any remember, but about two years ago, I did a fund for a new computer, a new Mac computer there, and we raced it within with less than twenty four hours. And for whatever reason, I switched it off yesterday. No, sorry, I switched it off last week. But I switched, you know, when you switch it off, you're lazy. And you just kind of press the button, you don't shut it down properly. Well, I did that. And for whatever reason, it got into this kind of loop of not booting up again. And oh, no matter how many times searches. On the internet, I couldn't, I couldn't work it out. I just, and then I was thinking, oh, it's worse than you know. You think, right? I kind of started, I kind of started, so I kind of do a show. That's the the kind of top and bottom of it, you know. So I followed all these things. Then I was trying to book it into the Genius Bar, but with my shifts and everything like that, it was just going to be about two weeks before I could get to because I'm on at the moment. 
no, <laughs> important. But I'm on these things called field shifts, where it's a random. It's the, the days in at work are random, so I couldn't just pick a time, and it was just like. So I'm following this one gentleman on the on the internet instructions. You know, and I'm going off my phone for hours with it, and eventually I had to do scorched earth. And just wipe everything, you know. And I was seeing pages I've never even seen before. But the good news of of that is everything was backed up, you know, Dropbox and everything like that. And I basically just had to download. I mean, it was quite for me quite difficult to to, to download because you got to download the the oper- the Mac operating system onto a USB drive, you know, and I booted from a a USB drive. Well, the the operating system is in. The Mac App Store, it's not just like a, a Windows PC, you know, save as. So it, it was all that kind of niggly thing. But anyways, she's up, she's running, and it is as fast as anything. <gasps> yes, so the today's show is coming at you full warp, right? <laughs> what a ramble that was. Apologies for that. But anyways, yes, so it, it, it it's, it's going good. But we'll get into the main fiction. Wheels Up Time. It's an original to Starship Sova. G. Scott Huggins lives in Wisconsin after little stays in Kansas, Germany and Russia. He teaches history to high school students, many of them who learn things. He is the author of A Doctor to Dragons and also has appeared on Escape Pod and Podcastle. And you can read his ramblings and rants at. And there's a little link there to Scott's site. Now, this story is narrated by Andrea Richardson. Andrea is a British singer and actress with extensive stage and film performances to her name. She began narrations and voiceover work in 2014, but enjoys using her existing skills in different ways. And you can find her, again, as a Facebook link and a website as well. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present. Wheels Up Time by G. Scott Huggins When they brought in the wheelchair, the scream building inside her caught in Karen's throat. It was Tennyson. Why did they pick him? Of all her chairs, Tennyson's sport frame and outward-angled wheels made him tricky for the big nurse to handle. But at least it was hers. A way out of this bed, this Room. Dried tear tracks pulled at the corner of her eyes. Behind the big nurse, a tall, slender black woman entered and waved him away. Karen turned her burning eyes on the woman. Karen, I'm Dr. Imbeni. I have to apologise for the way you were brought here. It's about damn time, Karen said. She flung her legs over the bed with her hands and dropped herself into Tennyson, hard enough to hurt. Her voice was husky and too soft to shout the rage she felt. Hours of crying had taken their toll. The flashing lights of emergency vehicles everywhere. The plane stalled on the tarmac, and she'd been carried down the stairs, through the mob of yelling passengers, and stuffed into an ambulance. No one would talk to her. Then they'd stripped her and put this hospital gown on her, and left her, trapped, in this bed, alone. It's just that it's been a long time since we've seen untreated paraplegia. The EMTs were afraid that your condition might be a side effect of... what happened. Karen blinked. What are you talking about? What's going on? Dr. Imbeni took a deep breath. Nobody knows. 
this will be hard for you to hear, but you've been gone for over 20 years. Karen frowned. What do you mean? Gone? Dr. Benny spread her hands. We don't know. When you left Japan, it was July 15th, 2017. Today is July 15th, 2039. Twenty-two years? I suppose you didn't notice anything unusual. Dr. Benny was still talking. None of the other passengers did. Even the pilots thought their lack of contact was just ordinary equipment failure. Twenty-two years? But, but I was going to college! Karen wailed. God, how insane that sounded. It had to be a bizarre joke. But Dr. Benny wasn't laughing. We have counsellors on hand to speak with you if you wish. We're trying to help people track down their nearest relatives. You were all declared dead years ago, of course, when the flight disappeared and was never found. It will take time to clear that up. For now, you're our guest while we prepare to treat your particular condition. What particular condition? asked Karen. What's wrong with me? Your paralysis, said Dr. Benny. We can cure it. Nerve regeneration was introduced 17 years ago. There's no reason for a young, healthy person like yourself to be stuck in a wheelchair any more. You'll be able to walk, she said softly, smiling. Karen just stared. Her whole life had been stripped away, replaced by God knew what. And this doctor was looking at her like she should be squealing for joy because she'd be able to walk. What about my parents? They're in Japan at the US consulate. Only they aren't, are they? Not now, Karen thought. Her mother would have been promoted, reassigned. Were her parents even still alive? We're looking for them, Dr. Benny said. It will take time. Meanwhile, you don't need to be in this hospital room for us to arrange your treatment. We've prepared a more comfortable guest room in the visitor's wing. Karen wheeled herself into the room, overnight bag on her knees. It looked like a hotel room. The stairs had been even more intense than those she was used to. Only people too sick to do anything used wheelchairs now. They didn't wheel themselves. The television screen lit and a tone sounded by the bed. The screen divided itself into three panels. The bottom one was tagged News, with several stories arranged within it, the top one being Mystery Flight Reappears in San Francisco. The top read Incoming Message, Hospital Administration. The second read Incoming Message, Hanakazawa. Karen's breath caught. Hannah? It took long seconds of frantically fumbling with the keypad remote. She hit the flashing message, and the screen seemed to open into a room. Karen brought her hands to her mouth. Hannah's face bloomed into solidity. Her long black hair was bobbed smartly, her face lined where it had been smooth. But it was Hannah. Hannah, her best friend, who had left a week earlier than she had for college. Karen wondered if she looked as stunned as her friend did. Oh, my God! It's true! Hannah whispered. You look just like I remember you. Tears welled in Karen's eyes. Tell me, tell me everything. 
I will. You're UCSF Med, really? Yes. Better in person, then. I'll be there in an hour. Karen nodded gratefully, and Hannah cut the connection. The message from administration was an introduction to the facilities. She drummed her fingers anxiously. How to kill an hour? She had a sport wheelchair. She looked through the pricey. Room. Meals. Oh, recreation. Stuck in a wheelchair. Karen's arms pumped rhythmically, driving her forward on the track. Tennyson hadn't been designed for the track, but the old boy had a fair turn of speed. Stuck in a wheelchair. What did him Benny know? And how dare she use that phrase after leaving her stuck without one for almost three hours? The other patients walking around the hospital's therapy track stared, probably wondering what had happened to her. If only they knew. Then the chrome statues ran in. They thundered round the track, like charging mercury. Robots! It was the only word she could put to them for an instant. But surely even twenty years would not have been enough time to go from the bulky, awkward machines she remembered to these lithe, elegant androids. It was not until they caught up to her that she realised she was coasting, hands poised over her wheels. As they flowed around her, she knew she'd been wrong. Robots would never have stared back with unmistakably human eyes, and robots would not be so obviously male and female, wearing black athletic garments. What were they? Well, was this a racetrack, or wasn't it? Karen accelerated. At first she fell behind, and the silvery runners lapped her easily. But by the third lap of 200 metres she was keeping pace, and by the fourth she was cruising alongside them effortlessly. She smiled inwardly at their stares and laboured breathing. Walkers always assumed they would be faster, and over the short term they were always right. But over a long distance, wheelchair racers would always win. Now she could study them. Their skins were absolutely smooth, without blemish or mole, or hair. Eyebrows, down, nothing. If not robots, what were they? All were athletic as herself. Plainly, men and women. A couple of the men looked nice, too. And wearing clothes, if very few. Not robots. Some of them eyed her warily. Wondering how long she could keep up? She cocked an eyebrow at them. Excuse me, Crip coming through, she grunted, and turned up the speed, leaving disbelieving chuckles in her wake. They stopped after a kilometre. A shout from the centre of the field brought them to a halt, and Karen stopped too. The man they jogged towards was black, an obsidian black carving of a Greek god. As they approached him, every one of the silver people darkened. By the time they lined up in rank-and-file pairs, their own skins had turned matte black as well. Almost all stood in male-female pairs, although in some cases the genders were the same, and with one couple, Karen couldn't tell. All right, Ectos, you warmed up. Now, drop and give me fifty. As he supervised the calisthenics, the instructor varied his skin tone from mirror brightness to black to shades of grey. They mimicked him, and those who were slow got called out and disciplined with extra exercises. Karen wheeled on, cooling down from her exertion, still wondering what they were. By the time Karen got out of the shower, 
the silver people were leaving the gym. Only they weren't silver anymore, but a light grey. None of them were sweating, she noticed. The couples were in conversation. Then the instructor walked out. On impulse, she glided over to him. Here was someone she didn't have to interrupt. Excuse me, she said, and then stopped. His brown eyes pierced her, giving her his full attention. He was very good-looking. Her mind blanked. What to say? What happened to you was exactly the rude question she'd hated all her life. What are you was worse. What is this class about? she blurted. He looked bemused. This is ectoderm training, he said, as if it should mean something. What's ectoderm? she asked. He hesitated only a moment before saying, Ectoderm, then suddenly broke off, raising his left hand wrist up. Sorry, don't go away. What she thought was a wristwatch bloomed into life, drawing a solid life-size image of a woman's head in the air. She was stunningly beautiful, with long dark hair and deep brown skin. Hello, Varsha, what is it? The woman's lips moved, but Karen couldn't hear her. But he could hear her, somehow. Implant? I don't know what you want me to say, Varsha. You agreed to come here and take the ectoderm with me. The woman spoke again, her face closed and tight. I'm sorry about your father, but you cannot be with both of us. He didn't say it angrily, merely as a matter of fact. You knew this could happen a year ago, or a year from now, when we would be in space. What has changed? She replied, hurt and anger easy to read in her expression. No, he said, sadly but firmly. You're not allergic to the ectoderm. That doesn't happen. You're scared. And I have to get to orbit. I can't stay here. He listened to her as she spoke in... Rage? Hurt? It's not a matter of blame. It's what you chose. I'm going now. He dropped his wrist and she vanished. Sorry, he said. Have you truly not heard of ectoderm before? Karen floundered. How to explain her situation without sounding like a lunatic? But then his eyes lit up. You're from the lost flight, aren't you? I'd heard that some had been taken to hospitals around the area, but I never thought... His lips moved. It's a long story. Years long. Can I offer to buy your coffee and I'll explain? All right, she said. Where? There's a diner down this way. He eyed her dubiously as she wheeled off. You're going to take your... What sport is that for? I've never seen it. Some kind of land luge? Is it new? He wasn't kidding. It's a wheelchair, Karen said. It's for tennis. I have to use it because I can't walk. Now it was his turn to look foolish. I'm terribly sorry. I didn't know the plane had crashed. It didn't, she said. It's a long story. Years long, in fact. Shall we have that coffee? He nodded and followed her. His name was Rajna, and he told her of the opening of the skies. The ectoderm was invented 15 years ago, he said. They introduced nanomachines that, well, replace your skin with a complex network of carbon nanotubes. It doesn't hurt, he said, at her expression. 
but it serves most of the functions of your skin and a spacesuit. Well, except for growing hair. He tapped his scalp. Ectos can work in space with little more equipment than a scuba diver, and the rush to mine the asteroids was on. The asteroids? Karen knew she was gaping, but she couldn't stop. Well, farther than that. The first Orion ship to Saturn arrived last year. At first it was all big governments, but now even independent prospectors are going out. That's what I'm doing. Well, was doing. Now I'm a trainer. What happened? asked Karen. To stop you, I mean. Well, if you want to be a prospector, you have to have a partner. No one will finance a ship with a single operator. Too dangerous. And I'm not suicidal anyway. Varsha was my partner. And something happened to her father? His glance sharpened. I'm sorry, she blushed. I didn't mean to eavesdrop. No, he waved this away. You couldn't help it. That was only her excuse. It was an arranged marriage between us, still fairly common in India. Most prospectors are married couples. We agreed to go prospecting together, but when she saw the ectos, she couldn't handle what it meant. For me. For her. She thought it would make her ugly. But I had already become one. It can't be reversed, then? Karen asked. No, the ectoderm is an improvement on skin in some ways, but it isn't skin. It's far less complicated, and it's designed for microgravity. It takes some getting used to. He sighed. <sighs> so, instead of exploring the solar system, I'm training those who will. It's a good job, and I can do it, but it's not what I did this for. Nor what you wanted. The possibility stunned Karen. You mean all those couples are buying ships and just going out to mine asteroids? Oh, yes, he said. They're expensive, of course. But many asteroids have the metal to be profitable, and a rich strike can mean great wealth. I'll show you. He held out his palm and spoke into it. Immediately, a little model ship, shaped roughly like a cake ice cream cone, festooned with airlocks and machinery, formed in it. The hatches opened, and two figures covered in ectoderm, wearing only shirt sleeves and breather packs, glided out. They danced around the ship, and Karen could not decide if it was more like swimming or flying. She loved to swim, had dreamed of flying, but adaptive skydiving had been too expensive. The ship and the figures grew larger, and Karen could see the man was Rajnar. The hairless girl was Varsha, she recognised. They cast off from the ship and landed, their booted feet kissing the surface of an asteroid, its snow-clad rocky peaks towering around them, the first people ever to land on a new world. Incredible, she breathed. But how? He smiled tightly. It's a virtual sim the shipbuilder made for Varsha and me, our own little home in space. Banks are falling over themselves to finance them, and the training only takes about a year, most of it in orbit. I only teach them how to use the ectoderm, and how to move in it. No point in launching without a ship. Karen stared in wonder. A spaceship for a home? Rajna's voice softened. May I ask your story now? What happened? On the flight? How were you hurt? Karen came back to the present which was the future.
She blinked back tears. It was just an ordinary flight, as far as any of us knew. None of us saw or felt anything unusual. I don't even know when... God, that's a meaningless statement. At what point in the flight we time-travelled? In fact, the last thing Karen was sure had happened to her in 2017 was take-off, and the captain saying, Wheels up time is 12.57 local. Haltingly, she told of the confusion, the landing, being trapped in her seat, and then rushed to the hospital. I wasn't hurt at all. I kept telling them, but they wouldn't believe me. I hardly remember walking. A blood vessel burst in my spine when I was five. This is how I've always been, through school, sports, everything. And now they say they can heal me, make me walk. A high-pitched laugh escaped her, and she clamped down on it before it could become uncontrollable hysteria. Rajnar's brows drew down in puzzlement. Don't you want to? Walk again, I mean. Well, I've gotten along without walking all my life, she said. How to explain it? If doctors said they could give you an extra pair of arms for working in space, would you want them to? He gave a short, barking laugh. <laughs> I suppose that would take some getting used to, even if it was convenient. And it's... It's like they think that walking is some great gift that will solve my life. I've lost 22 years. Her head spun. I was going to college. Where do I go now? I have no money, no home, I don't know where my parents are, and all my friends are almost 40. The words poured from her, unstoppable. The future just became the past. I don't even know how Avengers Infinity War came out. <laughs> well, at least you have good taste. Rajna's eyes lit. That movie was one of my first memories as a kid. His smile froze, watching her face fall. That did not make things better, did it? Karen burst out laughing in spite of herself and wiped away a tear. Was it good? Excellent, he said, still watching her. I always wanted to fly in space, she said. I half wish I could go mining in one of those ships. Rajnar hesitated, and he seemed to come to a decision. Why don't you, then? What? Why don't you? He leaned forward. I'm sorry if this is excessively stupid, but... He spoke haltingly. You and I, we're not so different. Neither of us has the future we expected, and neither of us can go back. We could go on. How? You could become an Ecto. You could take Varsha's place. With me. Karen's eyes bugged out. You can't be serious! I think I am. We just met! You're asking me to marry you? I know it's strange, but such things have worked before. It wouldn't be very different from an arranged marriage although we don't do it exactly this way, even in India. You don't know anything about me, she said. I know you're going through literally unimaginable trauma, and you're not falling apart, he said. I know you like the idea of space travel, and that you have at least some good taste in film. He shook his head. And you certainly are attractive. 
I'm a crip, she burst out. At his puzzled stare, she added, Disabled. So? He shot back. Nobody walks in space. In my last class, there were at least three veterans missing a total of four legs. I didn't ask, but I doubt they're planning on hauling prosthetics along just for appearances. Why should you be any different? Karen was shaking. You're absolutely insane. You've no right to ask me this. No, I don't, he said, leaning back. None at all. But I also have nothing to lose. Do you? I have to go, she said. I have a friend coming to meet me. A friend twenty-two years older than you? he asked. She glared at him, but he was not mocking her. It was a pleasure meeting you, Karen. I'd like to talk again, whatever you decide. By the time Karen got back to her room, her head was spinning faster than her wheels. Marry a man she barely met? Be stuck in a tiny spaceship with him for years? With some sort of artificial skin? Before she could stop the tumbling thoughts, the door chimed. Come in, she called. Hannah opened the door and walked inside, slowly, leaning on a cane. Karen, she said. I can't believe it. You should try it from this end, Karen managed. And then they were embracing and laughing and crying all at once, Hannah leaning over her. Eventually, she sat on the bed. Karen repeated the story of the flight. Now, tell me about the last twenty years. You can walk again. Is it wonderful? Hannah's face closed. It is, and it isn't. After fourteen years in a wheelchair, she fingered her cane, I can walk, but it took a long time. It's not the nerves, you see, it's the muscles. Did it hurt? Karen asked. Quite a bit. But it was all going to be worth it. Karen remembered meeting Hannah at the camp for disabled kids when they were ten, and Hannah was newly injured. She'd still cried over it then. In some ways, it has been. My parents were so proud when I walked. Did you get married? Have kids? asked Karen. Yes, I got married, said Hannah, back in Japan. But Tama, she sighed. My husband, he kept expecting that I would get better. So did I, to be fair. But there's only so much therapy that they can do, and it takes time. He couldn't wait that long. Hammer forced a smile. So I moved back here and became a translator. There's a lot of work. Karen's mind churned uncomfortably. If Hannah had taken so long to learn to walk, how long would she need? They want to regenerate my spinal nerves, Karen said. It's like they think it's some great gift. Hannah nodded. It's not the magic they think it is. But you'll find there's no real way around it. What do you mean? asked Karen. There's no adaptations any more, Karen, Hannah explained. After all, no one uses wheelchairs. There aren't any ramps or elevators, except where walking people need them, and Tennyson won't be very useful. There's no more wheelchair sports. None? Karen asked. You mean everyone accepted the cure? Hannah wrinkled her nose. Not everyone. There are a few colonies of die-hard crips. 
you know the kind, the ones who oppose any cure of some kind of genocide of disabled people, that cochlear implants were child abuse. Karen remembered those. Obsessive activists. Stupid, then. For the first time, she felt like they might have had a point. But all they do is scream about how oppressed and downtrodden they are, said Hannah. No one listens to them. The conversation dragged awkwardly on. Hannah caught her up on history, but that's all it was. Karen hadn't shared any of those years. She had little in common with the old friend she'd attended wheelchair races and camp with. No more of those. Never again. Eventually, Hannah left, promising to see her again. Her screen chimed with an incoming call. A uniformed hospital staffer appeared. Miss Karen Neal, I have an incoming message from your parents. Karen sat up. You found them? Your parents have sent you a video file, the staffer said. Karen nodded. And then her parents appeared. They're so old. But there they were, smiling at the camera through tears. Karen! said her father. It's a miracle, it truly is. I'm so sorry we can't see you. Your mother is in the middle of delicate talks and not allowed to send anything uncensored, still less to have a live conversation. We know you must be very frightened now, darling, said her mother, and I'll be there as soon as I can, no more than a few days. And just think, she clapped her hands, you'll be able to walk. I'll be there first, said her father. Don't start running without me. We love you. They faded out to be replaced by the staffer. Dr. Imbeni has scheduled you for a pre-surgery consult at ten o'clock tomorrow morning for your neural regeneration. The words came out automatically. But how? Surely I don't even have health insurance anymore. The staffer smiled. You are a US citizen. Then you've access to universal Medicare by virtue of the Health Rights Act of 2021. Dr. Imbeni will see you tomorrow. And she vanished, leaving Karen staring at the blank screen. So easy. So fast. They were going to free her from her wheelchair, whether she wanted to be freed or not. She could not push herself fast enough to outrace it. It took a few minutes to find him on the hospital intranet. Rajnar's grey features lit up. Karen, he said. They want me to walk, she said, her heart pounding. But I think I might rather fly. You have a date with me for dinner to convince me. He opened his mouth once, twice. I know a wonderful place. Pick you up at six? I'll be waiting. Remember about my wheels? <laughs> I won't forget. Rajna signed off, smiling widely. Stuck in a wheelchair had never been as bad as everyone thought it was, when it took you faster than others could run. Perhaps being stuck in a spaceship would not be so bad if it took her to new worlds. There you go. Don't forget, big copyright is... G. Scott Huggins. Yes, I love G. Scott Huggins. What a great name that is. Just fantastic. Scott, brilliant. Thank you so much. And Andrea, it was, it's just lovely to have you on. Honestly, man, thank you. Really appreciate it, all the work you do for her. Fantastic. 
So now, yes, get ready, buckle in. It is the old boy. I'll roll his sleeves up there. Put his white coat on. It's Mr. JJ Campanella with his science news. Jim, sir. Greetings and glorglomatic rationations, my lentative listeners. And welcome to this October 2019 science news update. I'm your host for this distractedly retentive podcast segment, Jim Campanella. Let's start the evening with Insane Historical Scientist of the Month. I may as well go with crazy people who are dead when it's hard to find new idiots that are alive. I should probably be grateful for that. Anyway, University of Madrid graduate Dr. Jose Delgado may have received a prestigious professorship at Yale University, but his research at the Venerable Institution's Physiology Department was, well, let's say strange because, on a whole, it dealt with mind control. And you're thinking, Dr. Camp, you're kidding, right? Yeah, sure, mind control at Yale? Oh no, ladies and germs, I am not joking. Definitely. Delgado was a genuine psycho. While at Yale in the 50s and 60s, Delgado inserted electrode implants into the brains of primates and used a remote control that gave off radio frequencies to make the animals perform complex actions. He called this... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thing a stimosiever. The most famous example of the stimosiever in action occurred at a Cordoba, bull breeding ranch in España. Delgado stepped into the ring with a bull which had had a stimosiever implanted into its brain. The bull charged Delgado, who pressed a remote control button that caused the bull to stop his charge. Apparently, one for theatrics, he taped this whole stunt, and believe it or not, you can still see it today on YouTube. Go ahead, look it up if you're curious. Uh, Delgado and the Charging Bull, or look up Stimo Receiver and Delgado, and you will find this video. 
The region of the brain Delgado stimulated when he pressed the handheld transmitter was the caudate nucleus, and that region was chosen to be stimulated because the caudate nucleus is involved in controlling voluntary movements. Delgado claimed that the stimulus caused the bull to lose its aggressive instinct. Although the bull incident was widely mentioned in the popular media, Delgado believed that his most important experiment was with a female chimpanzee named Patty. Patty was fit with a stimoceiver linked to a computer that detected the brain signal called a spindle, which was emitted by part of her brain called the amygdala. When the spindle was received, the stimoceiver sent a signal to Patty's brain, producing an aversive reaction, quote-unquote. In this case, the aversive reaction was an unpleasant or painful feeling. The result of the aversive reaction to the stimulus was a negative feedback to the brain. So within hours, her brain was producing fewer of these spindle signals as a result of the negative feedback. As a result, Patty became, quote, quieter, less attentive, and less motivated during behavioral testing, unquote. Delgado hypothesized that the method used on Patty could be used on others to stop panic attacks, seizures, and other disorders controlled by certain signals in the brain. Now, anybody else would have stopped right there with animals, but no, not Delgado. He went to a private research hospital, and he convinced them to agree to let him try this out, try out a stimoceiver on hopeless neural patients upon whom no treatment had previously worked. Delgado wired up no less than 25 people to see if he could stop seizures and panic attacks. Behaviorally, his device only impacted people's aggression, but he kept striving for a way to achieve mind control. The uh, novel in the movie, Terminal Man, by Michael Crichton, is based on some of Delgado's seriously weird-ass work. Was Delgado obsessed with mind control? Oh yeah, baby. He's famous for saying this. You'll love it. Quote, we must electronically control the brain. Someday, armies and generals will be controlled by electric stimulation directly to the brain. Unquote. I think we have a winner here for the most cracked, folks. Okay, since we have been talking about mind-controlling bulls, I think the next story actually fits into that similar category of weirdness. Having to do with bulls, that is. So, newly born bulls, not horny. Uh, wait, that didn't sound right. Here, let me try that again. Genetically engineered bulls have no horns. Makes more sense, I guess. So three years ago, a genome edit was made in two male dairy bulls to introduce a hornless phenotype. Dr. Allison Van Enenum and researchers from the University of California, Davis, knocked out a gene called POLD that is needed for horns to develop. A new study published two weeks ago in the journal Nature Biotechnology by Fod Enanum and company has investigated whether the POLD genome edit was faithfully passed on to offspring of those mutated bulls. By crossing one genome-edited dairy bull with two copies of the dominant mutant POLD allele with horned cows, the group was able to obtain six heterozygote calves that were born with just a single copy of the mutant allele, 
Now, if you remember your basic Mendelian genetics, you only need one copy of a dominant gene to see the trait. So the result was that the calves were born without horns and were otherwise healthy and phenotypically unremarkable. These calves are the first reported offspring of a genome-edited bull. Von Einenalm reports that blood work and physical exams of the calves found that they were all healthy. The researchers also conducted whole genome sequencing of all animals using a next-generation high-speed sequencing system to achieve a 20-fold coverage of each genome. And they analyzed these genomic sequences looking for any unexpected changes. Why bother with all this nonsense? I mean, think about it. Does it really matter whether a dairy bull has horns or doesn't have horns? Well, that's kind of what I was thinking when I read the article. Well, it turns out that the paper reports that in the U.S., the dairy cattle industry goes through a process called disbudding. That's the destruction of the cells that produce horns before they grow and attach to the skull. And it's a routine practice. And they do it for a bunch of reasons. For example, hornless cattle cause less injury to other animals. They require less feeding trough space. They're easier to handle and transport and they're less aggressive. But the removal of the horns is unpleasant for the cattle, and there have been a lot of groups like PETA that have sought alternatives, more humane solutions, including genetic engineering. One unexpected result that von Einenum found was that a fragment of bacterial DNA used to deliver the hornless trait to the bull had integrated alongside one of the two hornless alleles in the bull. Von Einemann said, quote, Our study found that two calves inherited the naturally occurring hornless allele, and four calves initially inherited a fragment of bacterial DNA known as a plasmid. Unquote. That's not really a problem or an issue. I mean, foreign DNA integration can be addressed by screening and selection. In this particular case, all they need to do is just cross the hornless offspring of the genome-edited hornless bull that inherited the naturally occurring allele that didn't have any extra DNA. If they just stick with them, then it's not even an issue at all. And they can continue to cross those, and they'll have a line of bulls that don't have extra foreign DNA, and uh, they will be hornless. But Edelman's group did not observe any other unintended genomic alterations in the calves, and all animals remained healthy during the entire study period of three years. And uh, <laughs> neither the bull nor the calves entered the food supply, as per FDA guidance for genome-edited livestock. So you can stop worrying about so-called food uh, getting into the food supply, at least as far as these cows are concerned. Next story of the evening. Balloons in Space! An article last week in the journal Nature from Dr. Ian Haywood's lab at Oxford stated that his team had discovered one of the largest features ever observed in the center of the Milky Way, a pair of enormous radio-emitting bubbles that tower hundreds of light years above and below the central region of our galaxy. This hourglass-like feature that dwarfs all other radio structures in the galactic center is likely the result of a huge, gigantic, energetic burst 
that erupted near the Milky Way's supermassive black hole a few million years back. Haywood says, quote, The center of our galaxy is relatively calm when compared to other galaxies with very active central black holes. Even so, the Milky Way's central black hole can, from time to time, become uncharacteristically active, flaring up as it periodically devours massive clumps of dust and gas. It's possible that one such feeding frenzy triggered powerful outbursts that inflated this previously unseen feature, unquote. Using the South African Meerkat radio telescope, Haywood and his colleagues mapped out broad regions in the center of the galaxy uh, while conducting observations at wavelengths near 23 centimeters. Uh, radio emission of that kind is generated in a process known as synchrotron radiation, where uh, electrons moving at close to the speed of light interact with powerful magnetic fields and create radio waves. It produces a characteristic radio signal that can be used to trace energetic regions in space. Those radio signals easily penetrate the dense clouds of dust that block visible light from the center of the galaxy. By examining the nearly identical size and shape of the twin bubbles, Haywood thinks that his group has found convincing evidence that these features were formed from a violent eruption that occurred over a short period of time and punch through the interstellar medium in opposite directions. Haywood comments that, quote, this eruption was possibly triggered by vast amounts of stellar gas falling into the black hole, or a massive burst of star formation that sent shockwaves careening through the galactic center. In effect, this inflated bubble in the hot ionized gas near the galactic center energized it and generated radio waves that we could eventually detect here on Earth, unquote. The environment surrounding the black hole at the center of our galaxy is pretty different than the environment anywhere else in the Milky Way, and it still is a region of lots of mystery. Among those mysteries are very long, narrow filaments that aren't found anywhere else in the galaxy. The origin of those has remained an unsolved puzzle since their discovery 35 years ago. The filaments appear as radio structures tens of light years long and approximately a light year wide. Haywood finishes with, quote, These enormous bubbles have until now been hidden by the glare of extremely bright radio emission from the center of the galaxy. Teasing out the bubbles from the background noise was a technical tour de force, only made possible by Meerkat's unique characteristics and ideal location. With this unexpected discovery, we're witnessing in the Milky Way a novel manifestation of galaxy-scale outflows of matter and energy ultimately governed by the central black hole, unquote. Next up, your new brain cell order is up. It may never occur to you, but at this point in time, in science, we can successfully transplant just about any tissue from one body to another, except neural tissue. If you need a replacement of brain tissue for the damaged stuff, then you're pretty much out of luck. Well, that is until now. Dr. Piotr Waltzak and his team at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine have demonstrated a new approach for transplanting brain cells. Their method exploits the immune system of the transplant receiver to ensure that the cells are not rejected and without the need for immune-suppressing drugs. The work was published in the October issue of the journal Brain 
The problem with any transplant is the immune system. Neural tissue transplants are no different. The body's response to foreign tissue is a major hurdle to overcome when transplanting cells there as well. Immune-suppressing drugs dampen the immune response as a whole, but they leave the patients open to the risk of infection. Another drawback of these drugs is that the patients will need to pretty much take them for the rest of their lives. To overcome the immune response, Walzak's team sought to manipulate T-cells in the immune system to stop them from recognizing the foreign cells at all and initiating the immune response. And they utilized two antibodies that regulate T-cells to do this. The team transplanted glial-restricted progenitor cells, called GRPs, into mouse brains that had been genetically engineered to lack glial cells. These GRPs arise from neuronal stem cells and are a protective brain cell that can migrate and myelinate previously unmyelinated cells. The GRPs were tagged with green fluorescent protein in order to image the transplanted cells. After transplantation, the experimental mice received the antibody to control the T-cells for six days. In the control group, the mice did not receive the antibody treatment. And the result was that uh, there was no trace of the green fluorescent protein after 21 days, indicating that the GRPs did not survive in the control mice. In the mice who received the antibody treatment, there was a detectable glow for more than 203 days, demonstrating that even after the treatment was stopped, the GRPs were not destroyed by the immune system. Next, the team figured out whether the GRPs were able to carry out their normal function and restore myelination. Using MRI, they assessed structural differences between mouse brains that had normal glial function and those that didn't. They found myelin in the brains of the mice who had received the GRP transplant and the antibody treatment, confirming that the transplanted cells were able to function normally. I know, I know you're thinking, uh, but doc, when am I going to need new brain cells? And when is it likely that I'm ever going to lose my GRP cells and lose my myelin? Well, you may not lose your myelin, but there are genetic diseases in which kids are born without proper myelin production. Myelin is absolutely essential for proper signals to be sent quickly down the length of long neurons. It acts as a kind of insulator to speed the signals along. There is one myelin disorder called Pazelius Merzbacher syndrome, and it affects approximately one in every 100,000 children born in the U.S. The condition is life-altering, and it affects the children's motor skills, resulting in them missing developmental milestones. It also causes involuntary muscle spasms and sometimes paralysis of the extremities. This is one of those diseases that I talk about in my medical genetics class, and it does fall into the rather nasty category. Walzak says, quote, because conditions like Pazelius-Mersbacher syndrome are initiated by a mutation causing dysfunction in one type of cell, which involves transplanting healthy cells or cells engineered to not have a condition to take over for the diseased, damaged, or missing cells, unquote. Walzak points out that all their findings are preliminary and that they focus solely on localized regions of the brain. In the future, his team aims to combine their discovery with 
cell delivery methods to attempt more global repairs of brain tissues. Up next, getting fat? Maybe you should sleep more. A new paper from the Journal of Lipid Research suggests that one reason that the Western world has trouble losing weight is that we don't sleep enough anymore. Okay, I'll go along with that one. I've slept pretty terribly since my children were born, and hey, look, I've gained 35 pounds in 13 years. I think I see a correlation here. <sighs> Getting more serious. As we know, a bad night's sleep will usually lower our mood as well as our energy levels the next day. However, chronic sleep deprivation can have much more harmful effects, including an increased risk of cardiometabolic disease. And I've actually talked about this in previous podcasts. You do risk a heart attack if you continue to get lack of sleep over the long term. And it can go even farther than that. Previous research has demonstrated how long-term sleep deprivation increases your risk of developing obesity and diabetes. However, the majority of these studies have focused pretty much only on glucose metabolism. Now, Dr. Orifu Buxton and company at Penn State University have actually demonstrated how sleep deprivation alters participants' lipid metabolism and how these changes could contribute to increased health risks. The study investigated the effect of restricting sleep on 15 young, healthy male participants to less than five hours a night for four consecutive nights following a high-fat dinner. No, I don't know why they didn't include women in the study. It's a, it seemed to be a pilot study from what I can tell, and I suspect that future studies will probably have people of various ages and genders across the board. This was their first study in this type, so let's give them a break here. So the results. Sleep deprivation decreased the majority of participant reported experiences of fullness and or satisfaction after finishing their standardized high-fat meal. Blood samples were then taken from all participants, and comparisons showed that sleep deprivation resulted in decreased postprandial lipid levels in the blood. Buxton explained, quote, the lipids weren't just evaporating, they were being stored away in the body, that is, becoming stored fat, unquote. In order to test the impact of one night of recovery, the participants were allowed 10 hours of sleep before the researchers ran the same tests again. They discovered that although there was improvement in postprandial lipemia, the participants did not recover fully. Even though Buxton's study is limited in scope, it still gives a fascinating insight into how dangerous sleep deprivation can be. And according to the results, when we get less sleep, we get hungrier faster, so we eat more, and then our body stores more fat. It's a vicious cycle. Buxton concludes with, quote, This study's importance relies on its translational relevance. We are looking at the results of a high-fat meal in the evening at dinner time. And this is real food, not fat literally infused into a vein in your arm. This is typical exposure that we're examining. That's very American. Americans are used to massive doses of dietary fat. Unquote. Wow, that is some pot shot, Buxton. Yeah, the observation is valid. It's not very kind, but yeah, it's valid. 
All right. Last story of the night. One of my favorite topics. Tardigrades, better known as water bears. Yes, I have another story on those incredibly tiny, incredibly tough, and incredibly cute, multi-legged, little bear-like buggers. Turns out that tardigrades may partly owe their ability to survive in outer space to having the molecular equivalent of cotton candy in their cells. As I talked about a couple of years ago, my August 2017 update, water bears can survive just about anything. They can be heated, they can be cooled, they can be bombarded with x-rays, they can be bombarded with cosmic rays, they can be doused in hydrogen peroxide. Now, the radiation and the chemical exposure of those types usually result in the production of protein DNA damaging hydroxy radicals. These are nasty, highly ionized molecules composed of oxygen and hydrogen. They have the ability to bind onto protein and DNA and really destroy the molecules and break them up into bits. Previous research indicated that a protein called DSUP for damage suppressor shields the tardigrade species from radiation. When added to human cells, the protein also protects against radiation. Now, this has only been done in tissue culture, but I mentioned this a couple of years ago, and it's a really interesting breakthrough. Well, now Dr. James Kodonaga of University of California, San Diego, reports in the journal eLife on October 1st that it turns out that the protein DSUP surrounds nucleosomes, and this is how it has its protective ability. So what are nucleosomes? Well, nucleosomes are a combination of DNA that's wrapped around nuclear proteins called histones. This only occurs in eukaryotic cells, and tardigrades, weird as they are, do have cells like we do. So this process of wrapping the DNA around histones is designed to help compact eukaryotic DNA, again, like our own or the tardigrades, and it functions in this compaction to allow DNA to be moved around more easily, especially during the process of replication, mitosis and meiosis. So Kodonaga says that the DSUP protein surrounds the DNA, quote, like a fluffy cloud of cotton candy, unquote, and that the DSUP cloud keeps nasty, damaging hydroxy radicals away from DNA. More specifically, he says, quote, the proteins probably evolved to protect tardigrades from highly reactive hydroxy radicals when they dry out, which is a frequent occurrence. Drying increases the concentration of DNA-damaging radicals in cells. And damage can't be repaired while the animals are dormant in their desiccated state. Since x-rays also form hydroxy radicals, tardigrades also happen to be resistant to x-rays as well, unquote. Humans have a similar protein called nucleosome binding proteins, or HMGNs, but the researchers don't know yet whether the human proteins also form a similar shield against DNA-damaging chemicals. I suspect that it's unlikely, since we accumulate DNA damage so much faster than the tardigrades ever do over our lifetimes. In fact, some people have proposed 
that one reason that humans age or one reason that uh, any animal ages is that over time these this damage from the radicals actually builds up and gets greater and greater and greater well here's a modest proposal that probably falls into the category of mad science but is probably one of the most practical ideas that will be suggested over the next century right now long distance space travel even to Mars, which isn't that far, is a serious engineering issue because of radiation in space and because of the long distances involved in that kind of travel. Seems to me that between the DSUP protein and the proteins that protect against icy freezing and tardigrades, we now have all the tools we need to edit the human genetic line and make us ready for long-term space travel. If we implant those proteins into a human, their DNA will be X-ray and cosmic ray resistant, just like the tardigrades, and we'll be able to put a human into a frozen hypersleep for long-distance travel that was impossible previously because it would kill them upon forming ice crystals. Ice crystals pierce and destroy cells. Water freezes to a glass-like consistency in tardigrades because of their cryoprotective proteins. And they can survive multiple freeze-thaws. Human tissues can't even survive one freeze-thaw. Good idea? Bad idea? Scary idea? Remember our friend Dr. He in China? This is the kind of thing he is probably now doing under his house arrest there. And we will see just how many years before our society decides to go in that direction. You want to read a scary book about editing the human genome that was written in 1930, believe it or not? There's a book called Gladiator by Philip Wiley, W-Y-L-I-E. It's been suggested that the main character was one of the templates for Superman a few years later. Improving the physical and endurance skills of humans has been in the minds of scientists for decades, if not centuries. Just something to think about. Well, that's all for me for now. Don't put electrodes in your head. Get a good night's sleep. Make like a tardigrade and get out of here. Keep watching the skies. And I hope I've inspired some of you. Until next time, this is Jim Campanella. And there you go. Jim, as old jokes are always the same. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Yeah. God, Jim, thank you so much, honestly. What's nice now is I'm sending these little recordings to my son who's just, like, obsessed. My son's at that age now where he's, he's like, he's in the top year of sixth form and he wants to go on to do aerospace engineering, for God's sake. I don't know where he's getting that from. But I'm sending him Jim's, like, just, he's soaking up everything at the moment, just... Cram and it's just like a sponge, you know what I mean? I'm dipping and diving into little things, you know what I mean? But oh, everything is just guffing it all in. So, Jim, appreciate it, really do. Thank you so much. So, that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you want to support us as well. That would be a fantastic Patreon. Just go over there two pounds, two dollars a month gets you no adverts, man. That in itself is amazing. Please think about it. It will be fantastic. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. 
dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.